Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our series in Acts. My name's Nick, if we haven't met. Um, I'm part of the community impact team here. And along with my wife, V, and our three little kids, you've probably seen us walking around, we are so blessed to be able to call North Coast Calvary our church home. Love you guys and love being part of what God is doing here. Going to be continuing our sermon series. We've been in the book of Acts, as some of you uh, would know. Sometimes it's called uh, the Acts of the Apostles. I think it should probably be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because most of the apostles are just there like sort of Mr. Magoo and all this amazing stuff happens around them and, uh, and they just kind of are swept along in it. <clears throat> but what we're going to be seeing today is that actually we're blessed to be a witness. We're blessed that we get to be the ones who hold out the words of life. We're blessed that we get to be the ones who God has put this deposit in us of the gospel, the good news. And we're also blessed in the other sense with the power of the Spirit. We're blessed and empowered by the Spirit to be a witness. We're going to see today that there's these changes going on in global Christianity. We've got the picture of the globe up on screen, guys. This photo from... uh, from uh, Apollo 17, I believe. The, uh, you know, the 7.6 billion people, we're on the way towards 8 billion people on planet Earth. And in this generation, there has been an absolutely radical shift in global Christianity. Christianity, as you look across the Earth, is less white, it's less Western, it's less affluent than ever it has been. It's also... Uh, way more open to the movements of the Holy Spirit. Also, more and more, especially in the places where Christianity is growing and exploding, they believe that this is actually the word of God. Perish the thought upon which we could actually build our lives and found our lives. And it's affecting all of us. It's affecting us even here in the West. And we have so much, and let's not be guilty about that, but let's leverage that and use that for the good because we're blessed to be a witness. Hey guys, just before we get into the sermon, I want to just uh, honour someone who's here with us, a very, very dear and beloved friend. I'm not going to say where he's from, because this is being live streamed, but you guys are going to be able to meet him um, afterwards in the courtyard, and then we have Mexican for who knows how many people, not enough is my guess, out in the reception room afterwards. You're going to be able to get to meet and pray with this person. I can't tell you where it's from. I'm sorry where he's from. I'm sorry about that. But I do want him to stand so we can all clap and just rejoice that he's here with us. So, mate, would you stand? So good to see you. Um, Trust me, if you want your brain turned inside out about what God is doing in a closed Muslim country, come have some Mexican food with us. You know, your church is involved with the 25 worst countries in the world in which to follow Jesus. We are embedded in those countries uh, through indigenous partnerships in 16 of those 25 countries. Amazing stuff's going on. You guys are doing it. It's your fault that all this amazing stuff is happening, all right? We're going to read the Bible here together. We're going to let the Word of God speak to us, and I can just... You know, be quiet. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, So here we are. We're in Acts chapter 5. So if you're new to the whole Christian shebang, there's the the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then this, uh, this book called Acts, written by Dr. Luke, who wrote one of the biographies, and it's an account of the early church. We're in Acts, big five. We're going to be at little 12. We're going to read it. Going to see what God has for us today. By the way, it's a big chunk, but it's a story. So we're just going to read through it, then we're going to um, talk about it a little bit, all right? So it is a big chunk, but don't worry, it's not a four-hour sermon. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Hmm, weird. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them 
were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, the angel said, and tell the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they'd been told, and, as, uh, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Normally it'd lead to the execution of people meant to be guarding them. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious. They wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged, so it persuaded them a little bit. Um, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Prince and the Saviour. And our prayer is today that you would come, that you would speak to us. Father, our hearts are open, our lives are open, they're yours. Would we see them as so? We ask that you'd be uh, penetrating us, washing through us by the power of your Spirit as we dwell for a minute on what it means that we're blessed to be a witness, that we wouldn't just uh, overlook that, we wouldn't treat that cheaply, we would see how precious that is. We're seeking your face, Lord, wipe me off of the stage. We all want to hear you speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you come to the book of Acts and other parts of the Bible, sometimes it just feels like a billion miles away from our life. I mean, here we are in Southern California on this, you know, rainy, sleety day, sunny day. It's meant to be winter, you know, but here we are. We drive in here, we get our latte, we're sitting comfortably in our, in our chairs. But this just seems so strange and so different. But you need to know that actually our experience of Christ is the anomaly. 
Actually, historically, throughout history, and even today, globally today, our experience across the freedoms that we have, the blessings that we have, they're good things. We're to use those for good, but, but we're the unusual ones. I was reminded of this a few years ago when my wife and I were traveling. Uh, we'd landed in Dakar in Senegal. We'd been traveling through South America and we were there to see some missionaries and to do some things. And, and uh, we got stuck, so to speak, at the airport for two hours, five hours, 10 hours, 15 hours. It ended up being about 18 hours we were stuck there. Now, here's the thing. I'm uh, one of the world's most humble and patient men that you'll ever come across. And for 180 entire seconds, I had great patience. <laughs> but, dude, I've got things to do. I mean, I've lined up these meetings. You know, and like, I can't, how can I spend it? And I'm going bananas, you know. And we're there, and it's the middle of the night. We've gone through one entire shift of guards, and we're stuck there. We're stuck in this room. They're taking our passports. My wife was lying on some broken plastic chairs, like corrugated back style. Her head was on my knee, and she was trying to sleep. But I'm like, I'm hypervigilant, you know? Like, and, um, and I look over across the other side of the cell or the room or whatever you want to call it, and there was a, a guy there. And um, I don't know what compelled me, actually. Keep in mind, Senegal is a Muslim country. Christians there are often persecuted. I said, I don't know what came. I said, are you a man of faith? And he looked at me, he smiled, he said, I am. And then I said, do you know Jesus? And in, in Australia, we say someone has a head like a split melon when they smile so big, you know, it's like, and he said, I am. And he came over and we talked and we shared throughout the rest of that night for hours and hours. He's this phenomenal guy, still a, a dear friend of mine, who um, speaks five languages. He's a businessman, travels throughout that part of the world, sub-Saharan Africa, especially the closed countries, discipling people, uh, using business as a means of discipling people to come and know Jesus and how to follow Jesus and how to lead others in following Jesus. Phenomenal guy. And anyway, I'm there and as it came out in our conversation, uh, my sort of frustrations about being stuck here and there's this guy who wants a bribe and, and you need to know as part of our missions uh, program here on any of our trips no bribes no lies no ransoms okay so if you ever go on one of our trips we love you that's how much we love you that we'll stay true to the word of God right no lies no bribes no ransoms so I'm not going to pay the guy a bribe but I'm sort of frustrated and I'm stuck and, and uh, but this guy's like isn't that I mean what did you expect like, isn't that isn't that normal? Like he was just sort of bemused about me and my Western frustration, right? Guys, what we have is not normal. What we have is a huge blessing. But we're blessed. We are much blessed in order that we can be a witness and help others to be a witness. As we come to this passage here, it begins with talking about the apostles. You see that in verse 12. And this, of course, is talking about um, the disciples of Jesus. There was 12 of them. Remember one of them, you know, betrayed Jesus for a bag of gold, hung himself. And then in Acts chapter 1, they rolled the dice to get another one because I don't know why. They thought they needed 12. Um, I was thinking, wouldn't that be funny if we did church leadership like that? Roll the dice. Oh, it's Mark Foreman. Awesome, you know. Um, one of those parts of the Bible I would say is descriptive rather than prescriptive, just saying. Anyway, do that, and, but they've got the 12 disciples, and, uh, and they become the apostles, the leaders, right, of the people of God. So that's who it's talking about. But I just want just to talk a little bit on that, because this idea of apostleship or apostolic leadership is key to the book of Acts, and is key to actually what I would say, uh, healthy Jesus community. Some people don't like it. Some people say, no, the time of the apostles is closed. I don't want to get embroiled in the argument. Let's just call it pioneering leadership. Those who are stretching out the tent pegs of the kingdom of God. You need to know one of the chief reasons I believe that this is such a healthy Jesus community is because Mark Foreman and Bob McKenzie and the directors and the pastors and those who are leading here and like Ryan Pfeiffer and the, these amazing folks are committed to that. It's not about us feathering our own nest. It's not about us just sorting us out and we're okay. And I'm not diminishing the importance of pastoral leadership, but I'm saying it's, it's key to healthy Jesus community. It's key throughout the book of Acts. These guys are committed to stretching out the tent pegs, to, to growing the kingdom of God. 
So that's the apostles. Wow, we're only two words in. Come on, guys, hurry up. So here we are. And there's all these signs and wonders that are being done. And down in verse 16, you know, the, the crowds are bringing out these guys, laying down the sick and the, those tormented by spirits, those demon-possessed and demon-oppressed and healing is coming. And we don't know if the shadow thing worked. You know, Peter walked by in a shadow. We don't know. The, um, who knows? Kind of strange, but maybe. We don't know. But certainly the, the guys who were being prayed for, they were being healed of their infirmities, of their oppression that was upon them. Here's the truth. We're not always comfortable with that in the Western church. We're so cerebral. We can't understand if we can't like give a 14 point you know, analysis of it and talk about the, the psychological effect and the, you know, the chemical effects. And we're not necessarily comfortable with that. Guys, I think we need to grow. Already it's happening. The parts of the world where Christianity is exploding has a strong emphasis on being open to the movement of the spirit. The charismatic and Pentecostal uh, parts of the world, uh, the church that are growing, have been outstripping by far and away the rest of the church. And I'm not saying they're without problems at all, but I, what I am saying is that definitely we need to be more open to seeing the Spirit move. I wonder what holds us back. They say pride or laziness or fear. One of those three things, or a mixture, will hold you back from spiritual growth. I wonder what it is for you. But certainly enough of us have seen like the weird sort of stuff on TV late at night or we've been part of churches where it's kind of kooky and, and wonky and whatever. And uh, so we're like, no, it's, it's like, it's demeaning, you know, and the way they do it and it's kind of funky and odd and whatever. And I'm not advocating for that. Let me just say, when it, when it happens biblically and when I've seen it happen in my experience as a pastor, the people who move in those places with the greatest authority, they have a calmness about them because it's the Holy Spirit, right? Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. It's the same spirit. Even in the last week, I've, there's been healings that, that's happened in this Jesus community, and it's not been with all the crazy stuff. And, and uh, even in the last uh, three weeks or f- few weeks or, or so, I've seen someone who has been given freedom from demonic oppression, and there was no kookiness at all. It was very calm. It was very honouring. It was very, what I'd say, very God-honouring. If you're uncomfortable with that, well, I'm sorry to be delivering the pizza. I didn't make the pizza. That's what the Bible says. So guys, we need to be thinking about that stuff. We need to be thinking, what's, what's going on? I love the fact that these guys are meeting together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, I've asked, there's an image of the temple. that Could that be shoved up on the, um, on the screen? Pada, pada. There we go. <coughs> This is the temple actually in the time of Jesus, but in 35 or 36 AD when we're reading, it was substantially the same. So these, you can't see them here maybe, but these, these little ants, they're actually people. This is massive, right? The, the temple of Herod, the temple of Solomon's here on the inside. Right here at this platform, underneath that is these columns. You see it on the other side. There's these columns. This is Solomon's colonnade, Solomon's porch. The people met under there. Now, I don't know if it's a uh, if it's a dink, but right here is the temple uh, or the the court of the women. One of the hallmarks of early Jesus community was how honouring and elevating it was for the role of women. They honoured women. They elevated them. Many of Jesus' closest followers were women. It was one of the hallmarks. So that might be a coinkydink. It may be also, this here is, the, is the, actually the edge of Jerusalem. Out here is the rest of the world. Remember in Acts chapter 8, the theme of the whole book of Acts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit's going to pour into you that you can be a witness. Dunamis, 
dynamite power. Literally, dunamis is where we get the word dynamite from, but not just crazy, but actually focused and, and um, harnessed and used to good purpose. That kind of power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. For us, I wonder, who, you know, what, what could that be? What's our Jerusalem? What's our Judea? Maybe San Diego. What's our Samaria? Maybe Orange County. I mean, those poor guys. You know, who's your Samaritan? Well, jokes aside, maybe it's someone who's of a different political persuasion than you. Oh, that's a bit, get a bit quiet. Maybe it's someone who's of a different sexual preference than you. Whoa. What about someone who you've been brought up your whole life, your family have been taught, they're somewhat lesser. They're somewhat people you should have disregard for. Who's your Samaritan? The end, the end of the earth, but I don't know if it's symbolic or whatever, but, but what I wanted to say really was that this thing here is called the Sareg, right? It's a low, it's a low sort of thing, and it's, and it's meant to define the holy part from the regular part of the temple. You were not allowed to go inside this part if you were impure. So at certain times a month, women could not go in. If you had um, an infirmity or an illness or a sickness or a disability, you were not allowed to go in. You're not allowed to go in if you're a Gentile. These guys are meeting on the outside of it. There's room for all. You can come. Come one, come all. There's room for everyone under Solomon's colonnade. And you know, as a church, we're deeply committed to that philosophically. They say the acid test of a church is if you cease to exist, would the community around you, would they be happy? Would they notice? Would they be sad? What would be the effect? You know, if you've been here longer than three nanoseconds, that your church, it's your fault, is committed to loving the community around us in a zillion kinds of ways. And I'm just going to popcorn some of those throughout the sermon and by the way everything's on the church website if you lose all your paper and stuff like me but so one of the things that we do is this thing called unite we're bringing together the civic leaders the uh, church and not-profit leaders and the business leaders in north county for community action for combined community action there's an extraordinary work going on there in fact, there's a lunch coming up for anyone who wants to on the 3rd of May. It's like the National Day of Prayer. But there's, there's a need right now. They said, we, we need mentors for youth at risk. So maybe God's putting that in your heart. You don't, even, you don't even need to leave your Jerusalem. It's here in North County. We need you. You know, having a one stable person for an hour a week, a stable adult for an hour a week in the life of a, of a troubled youth, astronomically changes the direction of their life. Statistically, I mean. Astronomically changes it. Maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, I could do that. Maybe some of you are thinking, uh, well, you know, what else? I, I want to care, care for refugees. So, well, you know, hey, you can do that. We've got refugee care here. There's families who come alongside, other families who've come from abroad, and, uh, and they love them, they care for them. Dumb stuff. You wouldn't even think of it if you're American. But like, when I came here, I spent literally a day of my life in the social security office getting one of those numbers, and literally another day of my life in that purgatory, otherwise known as the DMV. Like, and I actually, I actually speak English, you know, and it was just, I'm just like, this is a miasma of craziness, right? Just to help them with practical things like that, to come alongside them, to love them. Some of our teams that go abroad have had teams get back this week from Jordan, amazing things going on. Team get back from Morocco recently. We've got teams going to Lebanon, these places of the world. There's so many ways that as a church we can get involved in this stuff. A friend of mine emailed me last week and said, hey, okay, uh, I need people who will commit to one hour a week by Skype teaching people in Iran English. Okay? All this stuff on the website. Don't ask me, it's on the website, right? You don't even need to leave your couch and you can be doing this stuff, right? There's so many ways that we can get involved. Where was I? Oh, yeah, that's right. Solomon's colonnade. There's room for everyone, which makes what comes next, I think, really interesting biblically. Let's have a look here in verse, where are we? Verse 13. No one else dared join them, though they were highly regarded, right? 
Nevertheless, more men and women believed to the Lord and added to the number. So no one dared join them, but lots of people dared join them, right? It's like a juxtaposition, a contrast, like scripturally. And so here's my interpretation of that. We know, we know why there was a certain kind of awe or fear or, or wonder at, at these people who say they love and know and follow Jesus. Last week, uh, Mark g- gave the sermon on Ananias and Sapphira. If you're listening online, seriously, don't watch this sermon. Go and watch that one. It's unbelievable, right? But, but these guys faked it, then they died, and everyone was like, whoa, not going to fake it. Here's my take on that. That in that Jesus community, there was no room for fakeness. There's no room for phoniness, very little room for nominalism. And the truth is, uh, throughout the church globally today, there's very little room for that. Where our friend is from, uh, you, there's no social benefit in saying you follow Jesus. If someone kills you, they're doing their community a favour. If you publicly associate yourself with Christ, you, it's not good. It's not good for your business, not good for your family, not good for you, literally for your life. There's no benefit in it. What I want to say uh, is this, and this might be a little bit in your face, right? And if you're new here and you've been brought here by some well-meaning, annoying Christian friend who's just been nagging you to come to church, this is not for you. We just want to buy your coffee in the cafe and, and love on you and there's, you're welcome under Solomon's colonnade okay just come and it's no worries but friend if you're here and you're thinking somehow you can use Jesus or Jesus community to benefit you your business your social networking good for your kids not that any of those things are bad things but if that's your reason for being part of it you're in a dangerous place and I'm not I'm not saying that um in a condemning or judgmental way, I'm actually saying that out of real worry for you. There's no fakeness. Only authentic followers of Jesus who came. <laughs> and all this stuff is going on and what I, I want to talk a bit here about what it means to authentically follow Jesus and how global Christianity is affecting us there's a, have we got a, a slide of like a, a bunch of collage set of photos of different things? Oh, here we go. Perfect. Ta-da. All right. So, 1981. Anyone want to have a guess the importance of that year? Anyone out there? No hands? No one's guessing? Oh, you see a hand? What do you reckon? The Berlin Wall came down. I don't believe it was that year. Um, it, was, it was after that. But that was a very, very good guess. And good on you for being brave. I'm going to buy you a coffee later on, okay? Yeah. But a bunch of stuff happened. I mean, you know, some people were born. Other people died. Bob Marley, very sad about that one, personally. Um, there's me. I'm seven years old. Um, hilarious. We put, we, we put the first shuttle up in space. zippity doo Um you know, Pope John Paul and uh, Ronald Reagan were both shot, which in the end is good for your popularity, so it turns out. We had a movie on, you know, that we all know, there's computers were the size of a gigantic thing, you know, people, whatever. A bunch of stuff was going on, but thanks, it was sort of a, a jokey interlude. But what I want to say is, in 1981, there was a shift in global Christianity. It moved back from being a Western religion, numerically I'm speaking, to being a rest of the world religion. They call it the majority world or the global south. It used to be called the third world. That's a kind of pejorative term we're moving away from. But there was a shift. In 963, in the Middle Ages, was when it changed. Right back then, it's the Middle Ages. I don't know. Otto the Great is ruling the Austrian Empire. We don't even, I mean, who even knows about much about that, right? Then for a thousand years, it was a Western religion. What I want to just really drive home is that Christianity is not a Western religion. It wasn't in its origins. It's not in its sort of uh, theological and, and political, uh, uh, sorry, uh, philosophical substructure. It, it entails this sort of mystical understanding that God is somehow greater and beyond and transcendent, right? And now, again, it's not numerically. So what does it look like? 
What does Christianity look like in those places? And more to the point, how are we engaging and are we doing a good job? I've got a video the guys are going to play for a couple of minutes about how we, the Western church, how we're engaging with global Christianity because there's this amazing meteoric growth going on on the one hand and also huge persecution happening. Hindu fundamentalism uh, in, in the uh, Western world as well and elsewhere what I'd call fundamentalist atheism is, is massive. Like um, There's Muslim fundamentalism. There's, there's all these pressures going on. It's a crazy time to follow Jesus. Let's just hear and look at this video and see how are we doing? How are we doing at engaging with this? In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us. And then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah. There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today. But only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only 1 one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. I want to say, uh, I want to say uh, great thanks to the Reality Global guys who let us use an excerpt from the video. But guys, uh, I just want to say um, this is not a condemning thing. Right, um, actually, as a as a Jesus community, North Coast Calvary is tremendously generous. It's it is two percent globally. It's far beyond that. What as a church you guys do? So I just want to commend you. But we need to we need to rethink things, don't don't you think? We need to think how are we how are we using this? How are we stewarding this blessing that we have? Part of it has got to do with our focus. Part of it has to do with our money. Part of it has to do with how we wise in how we're going about this. How can we really be those people who are blessed with this power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses here, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth? How are we, how are we doing that? Friends, I'm absolutely wedded to the belief that we can do it better. And you need to know there's a wonderful team of people here who are part of the, the global impact uh, team who uh, help us. A lot of business folks have come and have helped us think about how we engage. 
Like I said, in many, many closed countries, you're already at work. Many of you have already gone and seen those places. You've gone on the missions trips and you've gone and see what's going on. And also you need to know one of our key tactics, if that's a strategy, one of our key tactics of doing that is Indigenous empowerment. Just like our friend who I know you're going to be beating a path down to the courtyard to chat with him and and coming over and eating some Mexican with us. I know some of you will want to hear from him. Um, We we come alongside Indigenous uh, church planters, school builders, leaders, uh, that's, that's the model that we do that. And I'm not against us sending Westerners abroad or anything like that. There's uh, time in the body of Christ that we can do that. But as a church, we do none of that. Because just for sakes of efficiency coming alongside, you can, for the 10 to 15 local workers who can do a, really a better job than us Westerners can are doing that. That are either indigenous to their culture or what I'd call uh, culturally proximate to their culture. There's an extraordinary work going on. And some people don't even know it. People come and ask me and say, oh, Nick, we need to be doing more stuff for the persecuted church. I'm like, come with me. Come, let me show you what's going on. It's unbelievable. It will turn your world upside down. So this is not a condemning message, friends, but a thought about how we're engaging. You know there's a, there's a black um, map with the blue sea on it? Can I have that up on screen? Okay. This is... Um, it's a couple of years old now. It's from um, Operation World. But I believe that every dot equates with uh, 100,000 of those who, who know, love and follow Christ. And the usual suspects are there. I mean, look, there we are. Even look, there we are. We're right sort of in there. There you are. Can you see yourself? And then there's, you know, England, of course, we expect that. But then some interesting things. Look at South Korea. Look at Nigeria. You know, two of the biggest sending nations of Christian leaders is those two. Did you know that? A lot of them are actually sending uh, folks back to the West because we've lost the way. You, you, you think I'm joking? I'm not. They're sending this. But look at this swathe of Christians through here. But what I want to just focus on for a second, apart from places where there's, frankly, there's just not very many people. I mean, I know because I've been there. And, you know, and Siberia, you know, and Greenland, which are not great for your suntan. There's just not a lot of people there, right? But there's this area through the middle where there's millions and millions in fact three billion people India and China China right now the world's biggest nation within 10 to 12 years it's going to be India there's billions of people who have never heard about Jesus friends we're blessed we we haven't we have the word of God we have the freedom to talk about it to strategize about it to think about it the freedom to give, the freedom to get involved, go and see what's going on. We're blessed. We're blessed to be a witness. So how do these guys, how do they operate under persecution? The guy who married me and my wife used to say that Christian character is like a toothpaste tube. Under pressure you see what comes out. What are these guys? They're shoved in prison. I mean, all they've been doing is meeting Solomon's colonnade and sharing about Jesus who just transformed them and it's amazing. They're shoved in prison. During the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord appeared. Now, we don't know. It doesn't say here how they operated in prison, but I'm just going to take a punt and say they probably had a better attitude about it than I would have. Just guessing. I mean, you guys, I'm sure you would just be hardy and amazing. But, it, you know, there's this, this place in uh, Acts 18, uh, 16, I think it is, where Paul and Silas are in prison. And it says, in the middle of the night, they were singing worship songs. You know, kumbaya, my Lord. And the other, it says all the other prisoners were listening. And I bet it. I bet they were in the middle of the night. I was thinking, man, that'd be a good way for me to get someone to listen to me. Because I'm like tone deaf and I forget lyrics. But having someone chained to a wall, like personified captive audience right just right you know but these guys they're they're there in the middle of the night then the angel frees them and it's just like happenstance it's just kind of regular life for them and, and here's here's the truth um i'm not entirely sure that we put ourselves in harm's way enough did i just say that i think that we play it safe i don't think i don't think we should what about those who are radically involved in um, 
the life of the community. These Christians who were there, they were right there. Solomon's colonnade, these guys are right there. They're speaking a prophetic witness to the culture around them. You know, and this is terrifically sad as a follower of Jesus. Throughout history, Christians have been complicit in some of the very worst things, so-called Christians. Think about apartheid. Think about slavery. Think about Nazi Germany. Conquistadores, like so-called Christians have been complicit with so much stuff because we lost our prophetic witness. We lost that understanding of the blessing that we have, the empowering of the Spirit to speak truth to power. Not to not abide by the laws of the land. If you're out there and you're one of those, uh, I forget what they're called, but the people who don't think the laws apply to them, um, you need to know that the Word of God says that's actually not true. The Word of God, uh, the, uh, the laws of the land really do apply to you, up to, but absolutely not including when it comes into conflict with following Jesus. So these guys are there, they're in prison, they're disobeying what they've been told and they're dragged before the Sanhedrin. So 60 seconds of boring historical stuff. Right, so, so the Sadducees, like it says, they're the elders of Israel. They're the ones that kind of rule the whole shebang of Jerusalem, right? If you brought together Congress and the NFL and Oprah, that's kind of what, and that sounds dreadful, exactly, right? Exactly. That's exactly what all these internecine fighting and politis, you know, politicking and backstabbing, and that was exactly what they were. And there were four main sects of religious uh, Jews at the time, and we have equivalents of each of these in our day, by the way. I wonder which one you uh, align with the most. There was the Sadducees. These guys were in political ascendancy in the Sanhedrin, had most of the power. They were in cahoots with the Herodians, in cahoots with the Romans. These guys were what we'd call liberal, religiously liberal. They had the Tanakh, you know, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish, uh, the Torah, the first five books and the Tanakh, the rest of it. They, they, uh, they had it, but didn't really, ah, it's just a nice sort of stories, just a kind of a thing. We don't... They didn't believe in the re- any resurrection. They didn't believe in demons, angels, whatever. They were what we'd call religious liberals in cahoots with power for, the, for their own sakes. We have equivalents of that in our, day, in our day, right? Then there was the Pharisees, of which Gamaliel was one. We're going to talk about him in a second. These guys were kind of the religious fundamentalists of the day. If we could just get people to obey the Torah more, that then Messiah would come and everything would be all right. Legalistic, I often think it's strange they're called fundamentalists because not actually that fun to be around. Funnelist, mentalist, you know, whatever. Anyway, that's, that's another sect that's going on. Then there's the zealots. And these guys, through often bloody overthrow, wanted to throw off Rome to do their own thing. And we have, it's, the word for it is dominionist. We have Christian dominionists today who say, if we just, we just took this country, whether it's Australia or US, if we just took it by force, forced everyone in Congress to be a Christian, in the White House to be a Christian, everything would be all right. Well, except for the fact that it's about people's hearts, right? You can see in each of these is uh, gradations of true and false and bits and pieces of each, Right? And then there was these other guys called the Essenes who were escapists. Now these guys, they had a community called the Qumran community. You guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Fascinating archaeologically actually that, that their fragments of, of Scripture, the Old Testament, show how amazing and accurate our Scriptures are. It's a, that's another whole discussion for another time. But these guys, they lived on the holy huddle, out on the hill. And uh, we're only going to have certain teaching, we're only going to talk to certain people, we're only going to have a certain radio station on, we're only going to have our kids go to a certain school to be taught by a certain someone or, you know, a few somebodies if we agree. We're only going to play in the certain soccer league and, you know, you know how that goes. Those who fully escape. You need to know that, that your church and the people of God are called to not be like that. We're called to be integrated in culture, to be part of it, Right? So that's, that's the Sanhedrin. These guys are dragged before them. It's a mixture of different people, probably Noah's scenes because they don't want a part of it. They're out on their holy hill, but at least the other three, and probably in order, Sadducees, then Pharisees, then one or two zealots, no doubt. 
These guys are dragged before them and there's this tussle going on. And here's the truth. I think there was some religious, philosophical differences for sure, but mainly, I think it was just personal. These power brokers of the day, they hated these apostles because these guys, these guys were rednecks. They were, they were from the boondocks. They were like, these guys are from Galilee. What? They're not even educated like we are. They're here, they're speaking this stuff. And who are they to do that? Who are these guys? I'm the powerful one. Don't you know who I am? There's this tussle going on. And, and at one point, at this stage, it's not clear who it was. Certainly Peter and what number of the other ones say, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. I wonder who it is deep in our hearts who we seek to please. In verse 32, we're witnesses of these things, like this stuff that Jesus has done, that he lived this sinner's life, that he died this death on the cross to take our sin, our shame, our condemnation, the awful things I've done, the awful things that have been done to me and cast them into the pit of hell. And then he rose again from the dead to prove that he is triumphant over sin and death. We saw this stuff. You can't tell us it's not true because we witnessed it. And then from argument from the lesser to the greater, they say also the Holy Spirit has witnessed these things. And the Holy Spirit has been given by God to those who obey him. Friends, that's you. The Holy Spirit's been given to you and by all means, seek more of an impartation, seek more of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna need it. We're gonna need to be even more blessed that we can be a witness. At this point, verse 33, they went bananas. They were crazy mad. They wanted to kill him. Interesting that Gamaliel stands up. He was a Pharisee, right? So he's one of the fundamentalist kind of uh, sect. But he's a very revered guy in Judaism. He, he studied under, in fact, was the grandson, yeah, the grandson of Hillel the Elder, one of the, the most revered rabbis, even to today in, in Judaism. So he's this rabbinic teacher. He's a very wise, considered, respected sort of guy. He stands up and he goes, guys, hang on a second. These other revolts happened and they came to nothing. Uh, and if this is of man, it's just going to dissipate. Don't worry about it. Just storm in a teacup. But if it's of God, don't bring yourself into opposition with God. Now, I don't, I'm not assuming or saying that Gamaliel had a, an understanding of who Jesus was at this time. We don't know. But it's interesting how God used this truth to come through this man don't set yourselves up against God. And they're flogged, and then they went out rejoicing. They went out rejoicing because they'd been associated with Jesus. It's just a flogging, it's just a life, it's just persecution, it's just a little bit of death. What can that do to me? What can death do to me? Friends, take this in the best possible sense that you can hear it. But if we are ever scared or chicken in coming forth about that we love Jesus, I think it's demeaning, number one, to the Lord himself, and number two, to our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are undergoing crazy sufferings. Like seriously, this day, choose for yourself it's, it's full on or not at all. These guys went out. And they, again, from house to house, through the temple courts, again, they're just like doing life. And shortly after this, the Christian community was smashed like a light bulb dropped from a, a high thing onto a concrete floor. And shards of this Jesus community went all over the known world and somehow years and years later found its way here to Carlsbad, California. And here you are. And we're part of this. We're part of this lineage of grace. We're part of this lineage of blessing. We're blessed to be a witness. Friends, we're going to uh, come in. I'm going to invite the guys to come out now and we're going to sing a song. And um, it's, it's the song that we sang just before we 
uh, started uh, sharing the word together. And friends, uh, so I want you to stand with me because I've been standing for a while. You guys have just been hanging out. Um, and now this is our chance for all of us to stand. And we're going to be, oh, but I want, you to, I want you to think about the words that you're singing. I want you to think about the words that you're singing. And here's the truth. Like, I was thinking, how can I talk about how wonderful this is? And this really strange image came to me about, about ice cream. I was in the boarding house, right? Um, so all male boarding house, that's why sometimes I get sort of social cues wrong and I'm a little awkward. Um, and so we used to save our money, then we'd go and buy ice cream, like a, like a half gallon of ice cream, like two litres of ice cream. And we'd sit there and we'd eat it, elbows out, because someone had come and you'd have to get them off and headbutt them and, and you'd eat it. And now, I'm not a nutritionist, but I'm pretty sure it's not the best for you to eat that much ice cream. But also just physically, like, you just, all that happens is you get an ice cream headache and a, and a sore tummy. It's not even that fun. And I was sitting there eating it one day, I thought, what am I doing? This is crazy. I should just like get some today and hand it out. And then next week, my other buddy could buy some. We could share his one, you know, eat a little bit. And here's why I think it's appropriate to what we're talking about today. Because this news about Jesus, guys, it's like ice cream. You don't got to market ice cream. I mean, unless your brain's broken or, you know, I know there's some people who are lactose intolerant. Some people, I'm on a crazy fitness thing. I don't like any ice cream. You know, there's some people. But you don't really need to market ice cream because it's just good. Everyone agrees. It's good, right? I I need some more nodding. Everyone agrees ice cream is good. Is it just me? Right. My kids, maybe. But friends, what I'm saying is this. Let's not hog it. That's just so silly. We'll just get a headache. We'll just get a funny head and a sore tummy. And Let's not be those who hog it. Let's sing this song. And let's mean it when we sing this song. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.